Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Madness Basketball Podcast. I am your host, Pash Kellerman, along with uh, my good friend, uh, Stephen Alo, and joining us, a last-minute uh, surprise addition to the panel, uh, good friend of the Matt Madness Podcast. We have not heard from him in a while. It is great to hear his voice and see his face again, uh, Ronald Rose. So, <laughs> so we have, we have our three-man panel to discuss uh, the NBA season up to the all-star break of the 2019-2020 season. So, Ronald, I'll start with you. How, how have you been, and how are you enjoying this NBA season so far? Um, I'm enjoying it so far um, really good. Um, again, this is one of my most favorite times of the year when you guys do the NBA podcast. <laughs> it's been, to my calculation, 117 days since the last podcast. Wow. So um, <laughs> I've been, I've been anxiously waiting for, for this. So very happy to participate on today's podcast. And we're very happy to have you. Yeah. We, so our, our original plan was to do one to preview the Christmas day games. I don't really know what happened. I think, I think what happened was like where Christmas fell in the week. It was like all of a sudden there was like no time. I, like, I think is what happened. Cause I think we, it even happened with, uh, Matt Madness, where all of a sudden we were like, oh, wait, we got to record this thing on Tuesday instead of Thursday, and I think we just ran out of time. I was actually kind of disappointed about that. So, yes, a long hiatus uh, from the Matt Madness Basketball Podcast, but it's fun to be back. We're glad to have you with us. And uh, Stephen Alo, uh, how are you feeling about this NBA season up to, up to the All-Star break? It's been the best season I could – I can remember in a long time because I boycotted basketball in a way for the last for the Warriors run for the most part because there was no really no need to watch it. It was inevitable what was going to end up going to happen. But the rise of the Lakers, of course, is my happiness. Look at you uh, sounding like a Roman Reigns hater towards yeah. the NBA. <laughs> I really do, but I have enjoyed the dominance of the Lakers have shown. I don't think they're as dominant as a lot of people think, but I have enjoyed it. It's been fun watching the back and forth between them and the Clippers and everybody's take on that about who's better, the Lakers or the Clippers. The, rook, the rookies, I think, have been all been, have all been great. Even the surprise team, I thought they, I thought they've been great. And there's been some pretty fun stories this past during this all during this season, and I've enjoyed it for for the first time in a long time. And basketball is always better when my team's actually relevant, so I can appreciate that. So I've been a miserable NBA fan this year for probably <laughs> one specific reason. Uh, we don't have to get into it yet. Um, obviously, I will talk about it as we go on here, um, but. With me not being the most happy NBA fan, I will say one of the things we talked about in our preview episode, and I know I like beat this point over the head when I listened back to it the other day, was that it was impossible to kind of predict how the season would play out because of how many stars went to different cities, how much player movement there was, how there wasn't a lot of continuity in the league, like almost all of these teams were new teams. And you were almost just making your best guess as to how is this going to play out because you couldn't possibly know how the pieces were all going to fit together in these different cities. Uh, And I think it kind of has played out uh, in that way. Like, I think we thought there was maybe five or six teams that had legitimate uh, title hopes or at least had a chance to make the finals, and I think that's probably true. Maybe even another team or two threw their names in the mix that we didn't expect. Uh, I think 
we've seen some of that continuity issue with teams that we thought would kind of run away from the pack really haven't. Uh, and then there's one team that is having a borderline historic season, and that was the one team that had like kind of the least turnover. So it kind of played out in that way. Uh, so I think this season has been very interesting, and I think what's most interesting about it is it's only going to get more interesting from here. Like, as interesting as it's been, uh, as much as we've seen some things develop over the last few months, like, what really matters is what's going to happen starting, like, next week. Like, this is what's going to really determine the season, and we're really going to see who these teams are, what they are, who are the real title contenders. And I'm very curious and anxious to see how it all shakes out between now and April. Uh, it's crazy. Like, I think a lot of people look at the All-Star break as, like, mid-season, but it's it's definitely not. Like, we have a sprint now to the playoffs at this point. It's crazy how far into the season we are. And this is kind of my last thing before we get into some of the specific stories. Do you guys agree with me that it's kind of weird and almost deflating a little bit that the trade deadline was before All-Star Weekend? I like that. Yeah, I like it as well. Huh. Um, I'm trying yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. The the trade deadline, that usually came after, right? It was usually like it was a the week Thursday after. after. The Thursday after was always the trade deadline because that's where the teams would kind of meet and discuss stuff during the break. Yeah, you know, I kind of do like it being before. So, like, the teams are just set and just, like, move forward. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't mind players, you know, getting together and, you know, talking about what they want to do. But in the NBA, I feel like the players got so much power um, for the, you know, uh, owners and the uh the uh, coaches to have, you know, that, that control and not have these players getting together and figure out where they want to go and just go out there and, you know, play with what you got. I do like that aspect of it. So then I'm in the minority then. I wonder how people like in general feel about it. Cause I feel like there's almost something taken away from the feeling of all-star weekend where like you have that kind of hanging over the whole thing of like, what moves are going to happen like next week? Yeah, I see your point. Yeah, I see like, your point. I, I, and I yeah. remember some of this was like the, the 2001 season when, you know, the Sixers made their run to the finals. They had had the best record in the league going into the all-star break. But Theo Ratliff, who was an all-star, was out injured, and they didn't know if he was going to make it back in time for the playoffs. And Dikembe Mutombo had that the East had that crazy comeback. Like they were down 25 or whatever it was in the third quarter and had that comeback with like AI, Jason Kidd, and Dikembe Mutombo. And then three days later, Larry Brown, who was coaching the East All Stars, ended up, they ended up trading for Dikembe. And that became the team that would go on to, to face the Lakers in the finals. It was like there's, there's something about that like intrigue of like, oh my God, what, what shakeups are going to happen in the league? that's hanging over All-Star Weekend that's now gone. But I can see your point of, like, we go into the All-Star break, and now we know, like, what teams are what. Like, there is no there is no change you can make. Like, if you're a Sixers fan and you thought all year the Celtics might make a trade for Steven Adams and that might be their thing to help neutralize Joel Embiid in a playoff series, well, now you don't have to worry about that because that – can't happen now. So I, I can see your point of why you actually like that it's over. I just feel like there's like this little thing that's that's missing from like storyline perspectives. But there are no shortage of storylines in the NBA at the moment. So maybe it's not that big of a deal. Uh, 
obviously the biggest story, I think, in the NBA this season, and I don't think anything will overtake it, was the you know sudden and tragic death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and you know the other people that were on the helicopter. Uh, obviously, nobody saw that coming. I think everyone still is, if not in shock about it, I don't know if it really has like settled in yet that it's that he's just not a part of the NBA culture anymore. I think it's weird to to think of the NBA without Kobe. And while I, I thought some of the some of the stuff with people trying to tribute Kobe by saying he should they should make him the NBA logo, I thought it was like, all right, you're going a little overboard now. Yeah, like, it's reactionary. You don't need to do that. No, nobody, was, yeah. nobody was saying that before. It's but just reactionary. I do like that they're naming the NBA All-Star MVP award after Kobe because, like, he's a guy that I definitely associate with All-Star Weekend, like winning the dunk contest as a rookie. Uh, you know, making an All-Star game, being an All-Star starter before he was even a starter on his own NBA team. Like and being an all-star for all those years and some of those moments where you would see Kobe up against these younger guys in an all-star game. You know, his performance winning an MVP in Philadelphia at home, getting booed by the home crowd. The year after, uh, he made the comments about cutting Philadelphia fans' hearts out. So I associate (laughs) Kobe very much with the all-star game. I think that was like the perfect gesture to honor him uh, in NBA like lore and NBA history. So if either of you have any, uh, Ayla, I know you got to kind of talk about Kobe on Matt Madness a couple weeks ago, but Ronald, I don't know if you were a Kobe fan at all. Uh, we've never really talked about it, but if you had any thoughts you wanted to share about Kobe, obviously feel free now. Yeah, as far as Kobe, um, of course you got to respect the game. Um, I wasn't a fan of his per se. I was of course an AI guy being from, from Philly. Um, it certainly did hurt when, he made those comments mm-hmm. during the finals about, you know, cutting out the city's heart. So uh, to me, he was he was the perfect villain. But in the twilight of his career, I certainly had a better appreciation for him because you could just, you know, see the greatness when, you know, him and Shaq were, um, you know, separate. And he was doing his thing, winning those titles by himself um, and the team that they had assembled around him. And I certainly had a better appreciation for him towards the end. And then, of course, the things that he was doing after basketball, being a you know good ambassador for the league and everything he was doing with his daughter and his family, all great stuff. So again, certainly have a, a better appreciation for him um, towards the twilight and ending of his career than he was when he was in his prime cutting out our hearts. Yeah, he was definitely, he definitely became easier to like <laughs> as he got older. And I think it's like that with a lot of athletes, like as they get to the end of their careers and you start to see like, Oh, this guy might not be around much longer. You, you do kind of appreciate them more. Like you had that whole thing with John Elway winning the Super Bowl late in his career where he became the guy, everybody rooted for even Andy Reed, where it seemed like so many people were rooting for Andy Reed to finally win a Super Bowl this year because he's been coaching for 20 plus years. And there's like a softening that happens over time where you just get used to these guys. One of the thoughts I had was like, because everybody all of a sudden the last two weeks has acted all of a sudden everybody was like the biggest Kobe stan ever. And oh, it's yeah. like, mm, you probably weren't, but now all of a sudden <laughs> you want to be that. Like you want to retrofit your Kobe fandom. There's part of me that, that feels like maybe this should be a lesson to people to like appreciate these guys like when we have the opportunity to watch them. And maybe we shouldn't have – because there, there's like a lot of like – 
Kobe hatred that had been out there for the time he played. And, you know, there's a lot of NBA players and athletes where there's this, like, hatred towards them. And it almost makes me think, like, maybe we should not do that so much. But I do think Kobe is a type of guy that wouldn't want that. Like, Kobe's a guy that probably was fueled a little bit by that hatred, and he would be somebody that's like, yeah, if you got this opponent, you should hate them. So it's there's almost like two sides of it. Where eh, I think that sports hatred makes it more fun. So maybe we don't need to, to cut that out. You know, appreciate the guys when it's time to appreciate them. But when you're in the heat of it, maybe there's nothing wrong with, with hating those guys. Uh, you could have a healthy respect while also hating someone. Honestly, it's probably a sign of respect if you really hate someone. So maybe it's not that bad of a thing. Um, but, uh, I was going to say, like, even on a you know personal level, um, I live in Lower Marion Township where Kobe went to school. Um, I live within walking distance of where his father used to live mm-hmm. and, you know, being in this community now for the past seven years, that's also helped me gain a better connection with him just being in the same community and um, just learning more about what Kobe did. Um, he always came back to the school from understanding like once a year, I saw some YouTube video with him coming back to the school and talking to the players and trying to uplift them and give them advice and whatnot. Um, he donated, I think over $2 million to the school some years ago to, um, you know, rebuild their gym and it's called, you know, uh, Bryant gymnasium, very beautiful facility. So, um, even for me on a personal level, I have even that much more appreciation for him just being in the community where he was raised um, I can't say born because he's born in Italy, but right. he was eventually raised um, here in, in Lower Marion Township. Again, I certainly have a, a better appreciation for him that way as well. Yeah, like you get you get to see like the community that he was a part of and the community that is has like benefited from from him and his generosity. You know, so it it is an interesting look. Um, I'm sure, and like even me living not that far away from there, like you're even more up close than I am. You know, like. So it's interesting. He's definitely a big loss for the game. It's a shame that we won't get, like, Kobe's insight in the NBA for the next 30, 40, 50 years because I'm sure he's a guy who could have added a lot to, like, NBA analysis uh, in the future. And obviously, like, the women's game, I think. Like, he was obviously a good guy to have in your corner, uh, like, championing your cause. And I think it's, like, a loss maybe for the women's basketball community even more than the NBA community, which is a shame. But I don't want to make this just a a Kobe tribute podcast because there have been hundreds of them in the last two weeks. But I did (laughs) think we should at least discuss it because it's probably, you know, far and away the biggest story uh, around the NBA this season. Uh, Another thing I kind of wanted to get into – how surprised are you by the Kawhi-less Toronto Raptors, that they are as good as they have been? We'll get to that. <laughs> I've got them as one of my surprises. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we can get to that later. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm shocked. I didn't. I thought they'd still be good because they were good without him last year. I think they were like 17-5 and five when he didn't play last year. But I didn't think that they would be where they are at the moment. Um a lot of time you get like fatigue with like someone becomes an MVP level player and then all of a sudden like sports media and fans don't want to view them that way anymore. But like Giannis maybe even having even more of an NBA MVP case this year than he did last year, which is is crazy. Like I don't even know if there's anyone in the conversation with him at this point. No. Not, not even the cliff. cliff. 
something. Yeah, like it's or if he gets hurt, like if he gets hurt this close. weekend, like that's maybe the only way. But there's no one in the conversation with him. Uh, the LeBron, the res, the resurgence of the LeBron Lakers, them being this year, what a lot of people maybe thought they would be last year, uh, I think has been an interesting development for the league. And I think obviously any time the league's biggest star can be in a very relevant position. It's good for the league and good for the storytelling of the league and makes everything more interesting. Uh, I think I was one of the more skeptical people of the Lakers coming into this season just because LeBron obviously getting up there in age, a lot of miles on those legs, the like injury history of Anthony Davis, I kind of was like, ah, well, let's wait and see what this ends up being because I don't know how many games these two guys are going to play. Obviously, they've lived up to probably even the wildest expectations anyone could have had of them. And I think it's good for the league. I think it makes the the Western playoffs more intriguing. And I'm curious if they can keep it up. Like, I thought they were going to be a team that wouldn't really have their foot on the gas in the regular season. But it seems like they do. And I, I wonder if that's like a good thing for them or if that could end up being a bad thing for them. And then... The Sixers, weirdly enough, have have been like the biggest story. I, I, I don't think it's just me. I don't think it's just living in Philadelphia. I think on a national level, people cannot stop talking about the Sixers and theorizing about the Sixers. And it's odd to me how much of a topic of conversation they've been nationally. Do you guys feel that way too, or is it me being like a paranoid Sixers fan? No, I would say it's it's certainly you know national. I mean, of course, the Sixers get a lot of national games, so that you know kind of you know plays a part in it as well. But um, they've been really Jekyll and Hyde. You know, their road struggles and their you know very good play at home. You just can't really make you know what is this team? I'm hoping now that uh, after that that Clipper win right before the All Star break, I saw some things where I think they can start to turn the corner. And they can, you know, do some things with their roster and their rotations going forward to, um, you know, start getting some wins together. Hopefully, translate that on the road. Because uh, if at this point they're sitting, at, I think the fifth seed, if they don't get in the, you know, top, you know, three or even four at this point, they're going to really be in trouble and uh, a potential for a first round exit, which would be just, you know, really crazy for that franchise. Yeah, that would be catastrophic if they go out in the first round. Yeah, I agree, too. But I think the reason is because you could easily make four to five reasons why on what's wrong with the Sixers. You could look at Brett Brown. You could look at uh, Ben Simmons and Joella B. possibly not being a good fit together. You could look at the sign of Al Horford and Joella and B's health. You could look at – you could take many different positions on what's wrong with the Sixers. But the thing I think is – but the thing that's going to first fall is Brett Brown firing. I think that'll be the first thing to do because you're not going to blame Joella Embiid and Ben Simmons in that roster because that roster should be way better than it is. But after that, I think you look at Tobias Harris and the Al Horford contract, which I talked about in the first episode that signed him to that max deal. And all of a sudden, he kind of looks like he's forgotten to play basketball. He's miscast, and they put him on the bench the last game to end it before the all-star break and cork Moss had two 30 point games recently. So they're like Ronnie said, they're Jekyll and Hyde and like their road struggles. It, that's ridiculous. The home stuff. It's like they go, they can cook at home, but when they get on the road, 
that's where all their problems lay. And it's interesting when they get into the playoffs, if you are in the playoffs, let's say you face Boston and Boston has had Philly's number in the last three years. Can you steal a game in Boston and then handle your business at home? That's the question when it comes to the Sixers. Yeah, so the Sixers are why I'm a miserable NBA fan this year. <laughs> uh, and, Alo, you said at the top of this show that you enjoy it more when your team is relevant. I had infinitely more fun when the Sixers were 10-72 and 72 than I'm having right now. Like, huh. the That's idea... That's saying a lot. It is, and, and let me kind of explain why. When they were 10-72... and 72, they had a guy in charge of the organization who I feel like was a very thoughtful uh, general manager. Like, he really thought about the things he wanted to do. He put a lot of thought into the moves he made. And he had, like, a set philosophy of there's more than one way to build a team. I'm going to exhaust all options. Like, there were a lot of people in Philadelphia that were mad at Sam Hinkie because oh, you should have signed free agents. It's like, okay, sure, but who the hell were the 2014 or 2015 Sixers going to sign that was going to come here? It's not like baseball where you can just offer the most money to somebody. If you are, you know, Kevin Durant and you have an opportunity to, like, stay, you know, in a situation in Oklahoma City where you know you're competing for a title, like you've got another all-star or two, depending on what year you're talking about, on the roster with you, are you going to stay there for slightly more money than anyone else can offer you? Or if you have the opportunity to go play in Philadelphia with, like, Evan Turner and uh, Thaddeus Young, like, are you going to go – and Spencer Hawes, are you going to go play in Philadelphia for the same money you can go play in a bigger market like in New York or L.A. or, like, a place that has a better climate like Miami? Like, the Sixers, anyone who complained about Sam Hinkie because he didn't sign free agents, there's a little more thought that goes into it than that because you have to tell me who was he going to sign because none of the guys worth signing were going to come here, especially with that to play with that roster. So Sam Hinkie knew that, and he always said the way to sign a star player is to have one already. That's the best way to get a star player on your roster is to already have one in place. So he knew the only way to do that was in the draft or through trades. And so his philosophy was, we'll do everything we can to try to trade for a star player. But when he came in here, they didn't have anything to trade. The most, the best asset they had was Drew Holiday, who had been an all-star for one season, who had had injury you know, issues the whole time he was here. Uh, and he traded him to move up and get Nerlens Noel, and he got an extra first-round pick out of it that ended up being uh, Dario Saric. So he then... Made trades in ALO. We've talked about this a lot. I've done entire podcasts about this. He made trades where every trade he made gave them like a little bit more than they had before. They never really lost anything, but they always gained a little bit back. And then over the course of years, you have now acquired so much extra stuff to now do things with. In the process of that, the losing games was to get high draft picks to hopefully get the opportunity to draft someone who could develop into a superstar level player. They got that with Joel Embiid. And even though Sam Hinkie wasn't here, they got the number one pick because of the position Sam Hinkie put them in and they got Ben Simmons. So a lot of people now are complaining about Embiid and Simmons not fitting together. 
But if you look at, and I completely disagree with that. First of all, one guy's 25, the other guy's 23. Who the hell is winning championships at 25 and 23 as the two best players on a team? Nobody. Michael Jordan didn't do it. LeBron James didn't do it. Kobe did it, but because he had Shaquille O'Neal on his team as the like the dominant guy, uh, it doesn't happen. Like Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant didn't do it. Like a lot of these guys do not. Steph Curry didn't do it. A lot of these guys do not do that. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't think that's the really the the knock on them. I think the knock on them is is how they look in the in how undominant they are as a duo at times because. You talked about Shaq. Shaq's the most dominant player we've ever seen. Joel Embiid should be, but I swear to God, if I see him take a three-pointer, I'm going to slap him. I can't I can't stand it. I forgot who – I think when they played Milwaukee, he just ran up court, stopped the puddle, took a three in the fourth quarter, went down by like six. What are you doing? Get get in the post. I can't I can't stand that. I really so, can't. So two so, things about that. The, <laughs> the knock on them not being dominant now, like I think the reason they're not is because they shouldn't be expected to be yet. Like that, and that's here's where a lot of my frustration comes. The process was all about patience. Like, you can't go from a middle of the road, it's the hardest thing to do is to go from a middle of the road team in the NBA to a great team. Because if you're middle of the road, you probably don't have a lot of salary cap space. You don't have a good draft pick. Like, you almost have to get lucky to go from like a seven seed to like a two seed. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go back at you again because this is also the third year in this process with the Sixers. No pun intended. But also, they've had different incarnations of the team. This team has gotten better on paper. It's just the fact that it hasn't translated to their record. Because I talked about also Ben Simmons, his non-shooting is all is going to be a flaw because he doesn't even take it. The reason I say that he needs his own team. And even with the whole taking Al Horford out the starting lineup, which was fine because you add another shorter shooter into the starting lineup and into the rotation for Korkmaz, I have a number here because it's similar to Giannis. Ben Simmons doesn't take any threes. So Ben, so Giannis, Giannis last season, he was 50, 52 of 203. That's only 25% from three. That was last season. This year, and this year, this is the numbers and counting. He's made 73 out of 233, only 31%, but he's already made more and took more from last season. And that's helping Milwaukee because that was the flood that they had in the playoffs against Toronto because they would catch, they would stop, they would, they would attack Giannis from full court, and he couldn't just run down the lane and dunk on everybody. So that was a problem. Ben Simmons, he hasn't even attempted any jump shots or three-pointers. So it's hard to see what you're going to get at the Sixers because there's no – growth in Ben Simmons. I compared Ben Simmons to somewhat of a Penny Hardaway, but Penny Hardaway can't hit a mid-range jump shot. Ben Simmons won't even take that. And that's the problem with the Sixers. Three years in, it's still the same thing in different rosters. Not like the team is, they kept, they kept the same team of Rocco and Dario in there. They added better players, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, but the team, it's just been stagnant. And and if, depending on who you ask, they said they regressed. It, for me, I would say I get, this is now going after our second summer of watching videos and gym yes. with Ben Simmons taking jump shots. I think even last night I saw him in all-star weekend. I think during like in the, their morning session, I think he was taking half court shots. Yeah. And pregame and, they'll show him making it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I've, I've, I've gone down there to the Wells Fargo center and I've seen this with my own eyes. The guy has a shot. His shot isn't completely broken like some other players in the league, like a 
let's say Markel Fultz, totally different mm-hmm. conversation, <laughs> but um, the, 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 the shots there, he just has to take it. And I believe this team will go as far as his, not necessarily making them, but just his ability to at least take them. I saw a shot chart the other night, um, one of their games recently, I forget what game it was. I was trying to pull it up on Twitter. I can't find it, but they had a shot chart of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And without telling you who the players were and what the positions were, you saw one shot chart with a whole bunch of shots taken from beyond the arc. And then you saw the shot chart for the other player, everything, you know, down the paint. And you will wonder, all right, is that Joel's and B's shot chart or what? But, you know, Ben's the one, I, th- I think they can play together in some way, shape or form. And I saw a glimpse of that when they played against the Clippers last. And I'm, you know, hopeful for that. But Ben, he's got to start at least attempting the shot so that it frees up some more space because he's just causing so many problems. I think he's really holding his team back. Of course, they're still young. They got to grow, but he's got to start taking that shot. So my, my feeling is this on Ben and Joel. So anyone who talks about like, cause I've heard a lot of stuff about like, Oh, the process failed. Well, the Sixers between like the Charles Barkley trade in 1992 and the year Sam Hinkie took over had one 50-win season in that, like, 25-year span. And they were mostly irrelevant, other than the fact of those, like, five or six years when AI was, like, arguably the biggest star in the league. And even then, the team wasn't really that good, other than the one year they made the finals. They were, like, a 46-win team for the most part. Since Embiid and Simmons have been on the court, they won 52 games, 51 games, and now this year they're going to win over 50 games again. So immediately just having those two on the floor gives them, like, a floor of 50 wins. Now, Alo, to your point of, like, they've had different, like, incarnations of the team with these two guys, I actually think, like, the problem is not the two of them. The problem is, one, there's no continuity around them, and two, like, if you look at the first starting lineup they had uh, when they were good, Ben, J.J. Redick, Robert Covington, uh, Dario, and Embiid. When you look at just like their uh, like points scored versus points given up, like their net rating, they were the number one five-man lineup in the NBA that first year with those five guys. Then they make all these trades last year because they, they thought all of a sudden – I, like, I really think the 16-game winning streak to end the season three years ago is the worst thing that ever happened to this team because all of a sudden, everyone in the city was paying attention to them. All of a sudden, the expectation was, we got to win a championship, as opposed to, we have a 21-year-old point guard and we have a 23-year-old center. All of a sudden, it was like, we have to win right now. And then they make the, the Jimmy Butler trade, and then they make the Tobias Harris trade, and all of the stuff they accumulated, they gave away for, like, Jimmy Butler's not here anymore. Tobias Harris isn't, like, a superstar player like they're paying him to be. And it's like, well, now you have nothing left to make moves, and the team really isn't any better. I think what, what they put around them doesn't fit. Like, if you have Ben Simmons, regardless, like, I do agree, he has to eventually shoot. But I'm not willing to say this is what he's always going to be because he's only 23. 
they should have surrounded these guys with guys who can shoot from the outside, with guys who can create a shot for themselves or create a shot for somebody else in the half court. And they don't have that. Like Tobias Harris to me is playing out of position as a small forward. He's a, he's a, a power forward in this version of the NBA. This team, since Sam Hinkie left, has had a history of playing guys out of position. Like, they were playing Joel Embiid at power forward to get Jaleel Okafor minutes, who they shouldn't have been gearing anything around Jaleel Okafor ever. Uh, they, they seem Robert Covington should have been a four when he was here and not a three. Like, Tobias Harris will be better as a four uh, than he is as a three. Joel Embiid will be better playing next to Tobias Harris, who's a four who can stretch the floor, than as opposed to playing on the floor without Horford. So yeah, I that's think what they did. Ultimately, that's, that's like Brett, they did Brown, yes, Brett Brown will take the fall for what happened. <clears throat> but none of this, to me, is Brett Brown's fault. Like, Brett Brown is not the reason why they're starting two centers this season, a power forward, well, two, pa- two centers, two power forwards, and, <laughs> like, a small forward. That's basically their lineup. They have no actual guard play on this team. Like, I look at it like Red Auerbach would not make this roster fit together. And the first podcast we did this season, I talked a lot about the Sixers. This is going to be ugly. They are going to struggle because I don't know how this fits together. It doesn't. I think this team has been mismanaged since December of 2015 when Adam Silver forced Jerry Colangelo onto the Sixers front office. Then Jerry Colangelo hired his idiot son to take over the team. And every move they have made since the Colangelos got in the front office has been the wrong move. Like, they've taken steps backwards every step of the way since then. And even now, with Elton Brand as the GM, this is still Brian Colangelo's front office. They hired Elton Brand because they didn't want to let let go of the other guys in the front office. And they're still doing, like, the same. they still have the same team-building philosophy that hasn't worked. I think Ben and Joel are, like, the least of the concerns with this thing. Like, this team, this is not going to work out. Like, I have no faith that this is going to work out. But it's not because of the coach. It's not because of the two best players. It's because they have a front office that does not know what the hell they're doing and is not going to figure it out. Ronald, it looks like you had a point you wanted to make. Yeah. So this is paranoid Sixer fan talking. Mm -hmm. I just want to get this out there. I don't like Dallas Cowboys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't don't like Boston Celtics. Mm -hmm. I don't like Al Horford. <laughs> that that dude's a rat to me. Get him on, get him on the bench. Keep him on the bench. It's I'm 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 hurt that they gave him that max deal like that. But you know what? Just keep him on the bench. He's he's better served there. Again, going back to that Clipper game, I liked how he looked coming off the bench. Maybe late in the games. Um, I understand the think of them bringing him in is to you know bolster their defense late in game. So I'm cool with him playing, you know, into the fourth quarter in crunch time for a defensive presence when you're going up against team like the Bucks and whatnot. But to start the games and going into the second half, keep him on the bench because he's a rat. Yeah. Now, here, here's my defense of Brett Brown. And look, I don't know for sure that Brett Brown is like one of the five or six best coaches in the league. Like, I have no idea. But what I do know is he's not the reason – why they are not living up to expectations. And here's like a credit I will give to Brett Brown. There were times last season when it looked like it didn't fit. Like the Ben stuff, the Jimmy Butler stuff, the Tobias Harris stuff, like 
all of this stuff looked a little bit off for a lot of the regular season last year. And they went into the playoffs with a lot of people not feeling very excited about how they looked. But when they got into the playoffs and they shortened the rotations, Brett Brown kind of figured out a creative way to, we can still let Ben be on the ball, but then we could also just give Jimmy Butler the backup point guard minutes. So Jimmy gets all these minutes to create and have the ball in his hands, and then we don't have to play T.J. McConnell. And he figured out creative ways to use that roster, like where Toronto said afterwards, like Nick Nurse, I believe, said, they were terrified of playing the Sixers because of their size. And the Sixers gave them a better series than anyone else did in the playoffs. They came up just short, and then obviously Jimmy didn't want to be here. They overpaid Tobias Harris. They made the ridiculous move for Al Horford. But I think Brett Brown, based on what he did last year, I trust him to figure out a creative way to use these guys to the best of their ability. Like, they're not going to be using 10 guys in the playoffs. They're going to be using eight guys, maybe nine. So I think some of the ugly minutes you get, like, I think what they finally have done is, I think Joel and Horford can play on the floor together, but I don't think they could be out there with Ben Simmons because it's three basically big men you have out there at one time. I think Joel and Ben on the floor together works. I think Joel and Horford on the floor together works. I think Ben and Horford on the floor together works. But the three of them out there together doesn't because you don't have enough spacing, you don't have enough shot creation, and it makes your offense terrible. So what I think they what I think they finally maybe have figured out is we need to get Horford more minutes without the two guy, the two stars. We need to find more time to get Tobias playing at his his preferred position as a stretch four. We need to like find ways to to make this all work better. And you saw glimpses of it against the Clippers. I know it's one game, but I have no faith it's going to work because I just think things around this team have gotten so ugly. And it's like it's almost like the media is playing a huge role in making it uglier. Like people saying Ben and Joel don't like each other and are jealous of each other and it's it's almost like to me it almost feels like we talk about NBA writing all the time. It almost feels like the annoyance I've had the last 3 years with the way Sasha Banks has been written in WWE or a lot of our favorite superstars like some the, the way they write for Samoa Joe or whoever it is. Like that's what I feel like the media is doing with the Sixers. They're trying to like make it fail. I think there is upside for this team. Like I don't know if either of you are familiar with 538 and their like predictive models that they do like a lot of statistics will will basically measure like what these teams are right now like up to this point all of their statistics mean like these teams are ranked this way 538 has a model that's supposed to be predictive and as ugly as the Sixer season has been 538 still has them as the third most likely team to win the championship basically tied with the Lakers they have the Clippers number one they have the Lakers number two the Sixers number three and then the Bucks number four that shows you like the the top end talent on this team still is like what you think it can be it's just a matter of getting them to to make it work I don't know like and it's a team that I can't figure out I don't know if they're just a bad fit and it'll never work. I don't know if when you get into a playoff series, are they just so hard to beat four times in seven games that it almost doesn't matter? Like they'll win every series in seven games because it's just too hard to beat them four times. I do think like this team was built to beat the Bucks, And what I worry about is, is it built to beat 
any of the other top teams in the East. I, that's what I don't know. But I think the idea of like Ben and Joel can't be together, I think is wrong. I think it's too early to say that. And I think the idea that they have to trade one of them, I think is way too early. Uh, yeah. Like if, and I think like if you tell me right now, they trade Ben Simmons next next off season, and then by the time he's twenty six, if he is like a thirty percent three point shooter, like I'm gonna be furious because it's like we could have waited two more years to get this guy. <laughs> but I think that's the problem is like the expectations got way too high, way too fast. The front office made too many moves like in the short term without thinking about the long term. And really what they should have been doing is built, realize like you don't need four, got four stars to win a championship. The golden state warriors lucked into it where Steph Curry was on a low contract because of his injury history. And then he stopped getting injured. Uh, Draymond green was like a superstar level player that was underpaid for a long time. Kevin Durant just happened to want to go there at a time when the salary cap jumped up a lot at one time and they had room to sign a guy like that. Now what happened is teams are trying to chase this four superstars model and you don't have enough money to do it. I think you need two stars and then smartly build around the two of them. That's what the Sixers should have been doing, not overpaying for two other stars. And I think... Like, even if this Al Horford thing works coming off the bench, you can't be paying a bench player $30 million for the next three years because it'll affect you everywhere else. So I think, like, they have to find a way to move Al Horford. We talked way more about this than I expected to, um, but I just – it's a shame to me, and this is why I'm miserable, that it's like this thing they should have been building for the next five years – all of a sudden had to be built right now and it hasn't been built right. And I feel like what I was hoping for three or four years ago, like just got taken away from me for no reason. And that's why I'm having a hard time enjoying it because it's like, yeah, maybe Dario wouldn't have been a starter on a championship Sixers team. Maybe Covington. Well, I think he could, he should have been a starter on a championship level Sixers team. I just think they've built this team all wrong with like the wrong philosophies in mind and I think like we're seeing now how all of these like little wrong moves along the way like the Markel Fultz trade uh giving away what they gave away for Jimmy Butler now he's not here anymore spending way too much money on Al Horford trading so much for Tobias Harris then giving him so much money and him like not being what you hoped he was or what you paid for I think all of these things are now rearing their heads now I may be shut up in June like they may win a title who knows maybe what they're doing at home because honestly they don't even need to be good on the road they just need to be like an average NBA team on the road if they're a 500 road team, this team is the best team in the league, <laughs> you know, which is, is the weird thing about it because they're dominant at home. They're horrible on the road. And really, if you could just win your three home games in a series and win one road game, you're winning every series you're in. So it's almost like all of this angst about this team. But then when you take a step back, it's like they still have the possibility of being everything we thought they were. It's just hard to see it. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think that's my frustration is the idea that like, well, they're not going to win a championship this year, so we have to break it up. And it's like these guys, these two guys who really matter the most aren't 30 and 28 and it hasn't worked. They're 25 and 23 and it hasn't worked yet. I still think it can. I just think they have to be built around 
properly. But unfortunately, I do think they're going to probably lose in the second round this year. Brett Brown is probably going to get fired. The same decision makers in the front office are going to keep making bad decisions. And probably one of these two young stars is going to get traded somewhere for a lot less value than they're worth. And then we're basically back to like the 38 to 42 win Sixers that we had from 1992 to... 2015 or whatever. That's like what I'm worried about. And then we have I'm to like depressed. figure out a way to start all over again. You're depressed? I'm very depressed by listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that like that's how I see. Me. Yeah, and so am I, and that's why I'm just not having fun right now. It may change in April when the playoffs start and it's like, "Oh, this is a team that was like trying to figure out how the pieces fit together in the regular season, and now we see how they implement it in the playoffs." And oh, this is what Brett Brown was trying to figure out all year. Like, they may be that team. Like, Milwaukee could be a team that's like, this is what we are. And we're going to be this every night, and we're going to win 68 games. But in the playoffs, we have nowhere else to go but be exactly this. Whereas the Sixers may be a team that's like, we have all this uncertainty. We're trying to figure out what we are. We're still really good in the midst of it. We're going to win 54, 55 games, whatever it is. And people are going to write us off, but now we're in the playoffs, and now we have like this level that we can jump to, like that nobody was prepared for. That they could still be that. They're one of the few teams that I feel like has another level they could jump to uh, that they, that we haven't seen yet. So there is reason for optimism, but it's just really hard to have fun watching this team right now when. Even when they win, you're frustrated. <laughs> like they have a twenty-five, they have a twenty-five point lead, and then they win by three against Memphis or whatever it is. It's like, what? Why can't you just beat a team by twenty-five? Rest your starters in the fourth quarter, like all the other good teams do. Like every game ends up being ugly and frustrating and annoying to watch. And I feel like it's going to be that way the rest of the offs. They could win a championship, and I'll still be frustrated the whole time. Like I don't, <laughs> I won't be happy until after it's over and they're holding the trophy. Like they, there's a world where they win a championship and I'm annoyed the entire time. <laughs> that's how I feel. I hope that's not the case, but I feel like that could be the case. Uh, if anyone has any Sixers thoughts, feel free now. I'm done talking about the Sixers for now. I've done way more no. than I expected to. No, I, I certainly see where you're coming from. Everything that you ran off as far as Brett Brown getting fired, one of the star players getting traded, that certainly has crossed my mind as well. I do think it's way too early to make a call on whether these guys can really play with one another, um, you know, and, and, and to make a call, you know, can ben, Jim, can ben Simmons actually take that jump shot? It's way too early. Keep them together. We got them, you know, locked up for, you know, some years to come. Put the complementary pieces around them. Um, I certainly don't want to see them. I don't mind trades, but the thing that, that frustrates me as a Sixers fan is them making trades. And then those players later on become very good pieces that we could have had, you know, guys like your, you know, Lou Williams, your, you know, th- those you know types of guys don't trade cork moss. All right. I like, keep him, <laughs> let him develop. I like shake. He's developing into a really nice player. He's still young second year in the league. I know, you got to give up something to get something back in return. I get that, but just don't pull the plug on it too early. Yeah, what I'm worried about is them being back in like the the post 2001 Finals run era of like we're trading like 
Glenn Robinson for Chris Webber, or we're trading Keith Van Horn <laughs> for like. Kenny Tom, it's like all these, you're basically just trading one overpaid guy who's not that good for just somebody else's overpaid guy who's not that good. And it's not really making a difference. Like, that's what all those trades were back from 02 to like 06. I, I want them to stop doing that, but I'm afraid that they're like going to be stuck in that cycle now. And they're always going to be like that couple notches below where we thought they could be. And the one thing I'll say about Ben, like I think Ben is does not get the respect he deserves. Obviously, the jump shot is a real concern. It's a real problem. And I can't fault anyone for knocking him for the jump shot thing. But every other aspect of this guy's game is like very good to excellent. Like he's gotten more aggressive at going to the basket. You know, which is good. He's gotten better at finishing around the rim. He's getting to the free throw line more. Like, I know that was an issue people had. And people talk about Brett said, after Ben hit that 1-3, I think, against Chicago, Brett said, I want to see him take one every game. I want to see him get to the line eight times a game. He hasn't taken the threes, but since the start of 2020, I think since their first game of 2020 was January 3rd, since then he's getting to the line seven times a game, which I think is, like, an impressive improvement for him like during a season to get to the line that many more times and he was shooting his rookie year I think like 56 percent from the foul line I think last year he shot like 58 or 60 percent in that run of time that he's getting to the line seven times a game he's shooting 67.4 percent from the line which isn't great but it's a huge improvement and if he could get to the line seven or eight times a game and make two out of every three that elevates his value on offense. It makes teams have to guard him differently. You don't want to put him on the line all the time because if you make two out of every three, it's, it's, it's good enough. Uh, I think he's maybe like one of the three best defensive players in the league. Like I don't know if there's anyone in the league as versatile as him defensively that can guard point guards, two guards, can guard your wing guys, and can even guard the paint if he has to. Like I think he's super versatile. On a team with Joel Embiid, who people have been saying since he was a rookie, he might be the best defensive player in the league. Ben Simmons might be the Sixers' best defensive player on a team with Joel Embiid. So, like, there are things about him where he's playing at a superstar level already. And I don't know if either of you have ever heard this, like, comparison made, but I've heard people say he could be, like, a higher upside Draymond Green, where, like, he can be that, like, dominant, versatile defensive player but also be like this like really good offensive player too so I I think he doesn't get the respect he deserves as like a star level player if he because if he does add even a league average jump shot or like slightly below league average jump shot he's probably an MVP candidate the rest of his career like it's not like he needs to add a jump shot to be an all-star if he adds a jump shot, he's like in the conversation with the very best guys in the league. So that like that's the level we're talking about here. It's not like he needs that to be good. If he gets that, he's truly great. Like a legendary type player. So I would hate to see him get traded because he's not LeBron yet in year three. Like that's what I'm afraid of. That it's like, well, you're not LeBron, so you're not good enough. It's like, ah, there's plenty of guys who aren't LeBron who are good enough. Um, but yeah, so let's move on from the Sixers. Unless Alo, you had any like follow up points? 
Well, you basically hit on every reason why the media talks about the Sixers so much. Yeah. Like I said, all four <laughs> to five reasons. Yeah, and and like some of them are real. The problem that I have is like the stuff that shouldn't be an issue yet. Like that's what frustrates me. So I guess we could talk a little bit about like some of the playoff race stuff and some of the teams we predicted that would would fall out of the playoffs or get into the playoffs. I think the East ultimately has kind of shaken out exactly like we we expected as far as the teams in the playoffs. A little bit different seating-wise. So, Ronald, who has been your biggest surprise, like, in the East so far this year? Um, For me, the biggest surprise has probably been the Miami Heat. Um, Not that they wouldn't be in the mix for the playoffs, but it's just more so how well they play with a bunch of young guys. I mean, it's basically Jimmy Butler and a bunch of, like, rookies for the most part. So I've been really surprised to see how well they've played together. I am a little concerned that because, you know, they've got a lot of young guys that they're going to hit a wall at some point. Um, so we'll see how that all works out. But I would say um, for now, Miami's definitely been uh, a huge surprise with at least how they started the year. So we'll see how they'll, they'll finish. Yeah. And Ayla, what about you? Yeah, I had the Miami, Miami Heat as well. To think about how salary cap strapped they were to be this good, because I didn't have them in the playoffs this season because I just saw Jimmy Butler and the team from last year, but they were so salary cap strapped, but they were able to acquire Jimmy Butler and then they drafted. Well, they have Tyler hero shooting great from the outside. Also Kendrick Nunn, who was a surprise surprise. I believe he played in the G league last year. Duncan Robinson, who was in a three point shootout last night, the emergence of Bam Adebayo, who was an all-star going to play in the game tonight. And you add that with Goran Dragic who and Derek Jones, who were on that team last season, Eric Bolter's done a great job actually bringing all those guys together. And Jimmy Butler actually fits real well with those guys. And that team always played hard, but now the addition of Jimmy Butler is really added more to that team. And they've, they've completely overachieved. And right now that the four seed as of today, they will play the sixth in the first round. And that's something the NBA writers would love to do. Have Jimmy Butler play the sixth in the first round. And I can't say I wouldn't enjoy it because I would with the whole Jojo and uh, Jimmy Butler friendship and stuff but the miami heat because just to, oh and also adding andre iguodala for basically players that didn't even play anymore was a steal and they're in position for the summer of 2021 to attract free agents possibly so that's that's my surprise team for the east so it's funny because if you remember i made the prediction of the sixers and heat playing each other in the first round of the playoffs but I had it as a 2-7 matchup. And how funny is it now that if the playoffs started today, it'd be a 4-5 matchup and the Sixers wouldn't even be the home court advantage in that series. Yes. Did not see that coming. I did think they'd make the playoffs, but I didn't think they'd be as good. I also remember saying on that podcast that I saw some like media publications predicting Miami as high as like the 2 or 3 seed in the East. So some people did see this coming. I know I didn't think they were going to be as successful as they've been, but my biggest surprise in the East is definitely the Raptors because I thought they'd be good, but I didn't think they'd be basically just about as good as they were last year. And they have been. Uh, That's the team. So like I probably should be worried about the Milwaukee Bucks as a Sixers fan, but I'm more worried about the Raptors than Milwaukee. Yeah. The thing with the Raptors, I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but Nick Nurse is making even though he won a championship last year, Nick Nurse is making a hell of an argument 
to be coach of the year because last year he already had Kawhi Leonard in that team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals. But this year, you lose Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, and you expect a tremendous drop-off. But last season, they were 17-5 and without Kawhi. But still, this is the entire season. They're just as good, and especially with the whole 15 out of the last 16-game win streak. And Pascal Siakam's missed over 10 games. Fred Van Vliet's missed time. Kyle Lowry, Mark Gasol. The adjustments that he's made, and they're in the same position they were last year. He he has a very strong case to be coach of the year, even though he didn't win it last year and won the championship last year. Right. Um, yeah, that like a great successful season for them. Obviously, we don't know how it's going to play out yet. And I don't know that I look at them as like a team that could win the championship. But my God, they have been light years better than I expected them to be this year. I didn't expect to be like worried about them this year, and I am. Uh, one of my uh, predictions so obviously, Detroit was my prediction to drop out of the playoffs, and that seems like pretty safe bet that that's going to come true. One of my proudest uh, prognostications I made on our original podcast was I said I could see Brooklyn possibly falling out of the playoffs because teams seem to be not as good with Kyrie as they are without him. And the Nets are going to make the playoffs. They're in the seventh spot right now. They're 25 and 28. But when you look at it, they're eight and twelve with Kyrie and seventeen and sixteen without him. So another team that is better without Kyrie than they were with him. Uh, I feel like pretty good about that. That I that I feel like I I nailed that one. Uh, and Orlando, uh, I thought could possibly fall out of the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs only because. Everybody else in the East just sucks so bad. Well, the Wizards only three games back, and the Chicago Bulls of all teams at what <laughs> nineteen and thirty six are four games back, which is completely ridiculous. Well, I would be elated to see the Magic fall out of the playoffs because I would love to be able to say Markel Fultz tanked that franchise <laughs> because he is the root of a lot of what this te- the Sixers team has done wrong in the last three years. Um, now in the West. Do either of you have like a specific surprise team from the West? Yeah, I have the OKC because we talked about that in our first episode. We weren't sure what to get next to OKC. You had OKC, OKC in the playoffs, but kind of put an asterisk next to it because we didn't understand what they would be because we looked at this roster. It was like, okay, this is the playoff roster, but it's the Western Conference. And if they weren't winning, they might just kind of blow it up a little bit. But I've been impressed. Uh, Scotty Brooks, another coach to get candidate, I think. We talked about the Celtics needing the center. We talked about Steven Adams potentially being available. It was going to be about how the team looked and what their record was to see if they would blow it up. But they've completely overachieved my expectations. They're in the seventh seed right now. Well, actually, the sixth seed, I believe, at 33 and 22. Shea Gildas Alexander is one of my well, – he, he was my pick for most improved player, averaging 19 and a half. And Chris Paul's had a career resurgence because everybody wrote Chris Paul off, but he's been – Done, he's, done, he's done wonders for that team. And OKC, their team, I don't think a lot of people would like to see in the first round, especially in OKC with the home court advantage. So that's my surprise team in the West. Yeah, I had the same as well as uh, OKC. I certainly didn't expect them, considering all the moves that they made in the offseason. I didn't think they would be at the point where they're at now. And to you know see them hanging on to that you know, six seed with you know, opportunities to climb in the rankings, um, you know, I certainly didn't see that one coming. Yeah, so obviously we did have the discussion uh, about, like, we don't know if they're going to keep that team intact 
all year or if they're going to make some big trades at the trade deadline. But my, I think my feeling was, um, and I might have, this might have been like my exact quote, Chris Paul is the kind of guy that's going to be really pissed off that like he got cast off like out of Houston um, and he's going to have a season where he's going to say like, like I'm still Chris Paul, like you might have forgot, but like I'm still Chris Paul. And he truly is having that type of season. Like he's been one of the best fourth quarter players in the league this year. He's like put them on his back to win a lot of these like close games late. Unbelievable season for Chris Paul. Uh, and I think the, the way I viewed this team is like they're like a scrappy team that's going to fight their way through the season, and they really have done that. Uh, so I don't want to say that I'm necessarily surprised by them. Um, I am impressed with them, though. Um, and the other thing is, in the Markel Fultz trade, the Sixers received a draft pick from Orlando. It was the Oklahoma City top 20 protected pick in this year's draft. So right now, the Oklahoma City Thunder are sitting at the, they'd be the 20th draft pick right now, so the Sixers wouldn't get it. But if they could move up ahead of one team, the Sixers would end up with the 21st pick in the draft from Oklahoma City. So if I have no other rooting interest this year, it's that we might steal an additional first-round draft pick. Um, but one of the teams that is just ahead of the Oklahoma City Thunder is the Sixers. So there, there are some goofballs floating the theory that the Sixers are going to stay behind Oklahoma City to ensure that they get that 21st pick in the draft, which I wouldn't hate. If you're going to be the fifth seed anyway, why not sneak yourself a first-round pick out of it? I think my most surprising team in the West is probably the Lakers. And the reason is I think I had them like as my four, four. or five team. Uh, reason being, and it wasn't like a slight on their talent or anything like that. It's a team that I thought was going to try to like take it easy during the regular season to be prepared for the playoffs. I didn't think they were going to kind of have their foot on the gas in the regular season the way they have. They're 41-12, and 12, I think. Uh, and I think with a four-game lead, and like I think they're going to be hard to catch up to for the number one seed in the West. Uh, I think that they... They've kind of fit together a little more seamlessly than I expected. They've been more healthy than I expected. They've been more durable than I expected. And I think they have, like, a level of hunger that I didn't expect. Like, the reason I picked my top two teams in the West as my top two teams is because I thought the Nuggets and Jazz were going to be the two teams that just cared the most about the regular season wins. Uh, Like, the the kind of... uh, like, care too much. Like, where it doesn't matter if you win 57 games or 59 games. It matters that you get there and you get there in one piece. I'm surprised that the Lakers have taken the regular season as seriously as they have. And uh, obviously we don't know what the playoffs are going to look like yet, but they've been, like, a pleasant surprise for me. I think that they have been a way better regular season team than I expected. Uh, And you know what? The Memphis Grizzlies have been a really surprising team. Like, who would have thought they'd be – fighting for a playoff spot and like kind of comfortably in the eighth seed. I did not expect it to happen yet. Um, but here we are with the Memphis Grizzlies possibly making the playoffs in the West of all, of all conferences, obviously helped by the fact that golden state has been taken entirely out of the playoff picture, but nobody expected, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies to be there. Um, as far as, I don't know. Do you guys have any other teams from either conference you feel like you want to discuss, good or bad? 
Uh, I have a disappointing, some disappointing teams. I don't know if you're going to go to that. Yeah, go next. Ahead. All right, so my disappointing team in the East is the Atlanta Hawks. Granted, last year they were a tough out in the second half of the season. Trey Young really jumped out and became a superstar. I said on the episode last last uh, to preview the NBA, they were eight and thirteen in the second half of the season. But also remember, at the beginning of the season, John Collins got suspended in the first week, and they were four and twenty-one without him. So. And in the Eastern Conference, if you even if you won five more games, like I said about Washington, you're only four games out. So <laughs> John Collins being out for four for those 25 games was big for that team. Trey Young also missed time. And in the West, I have I don't expect I didn't expect much from them, but they're always around and around that 45 to 50 range is Portland and. Damian Lillard is so underappreciated because he's in Portland. People don't call him a superstar enough, but I, I think he's a superstar and everything that's going wrong in Portland is not his fault at all. And Portland, they're, they're just outside the playoffs right now, but I think if they don't make the playoffs this season, I think they've peaked last year because they were in the Western Conference Finals. That team's been in the same position for years. If they don't make the playoffs this season, I think it's time to blow it up. I had the same exact thought with Portland being one of my disappointing teams of the year, just looking at the standings and how right now Memphis seems to have a, you know, good grasp on that a spot again, you know, surprising with, um, you know, what they've got going on. They're expected to, you know, kind of struggle a bit with the younger guys and seeing Portland, um, you know, being where they are playoff team from, you know, last year going pretty deep um, is getting to a point where I don't know if they'll start taking a look at, you know, Lillard and, um, McCollum and, you know, deciding whether they want to break that up or not and try and get some assets and, you know, try and go in a, a, a different direction with their team. So, yeah, I, so if they miss the play, I, I think that's the type of, it's weird because they, I don't think they're in the type of market that's like we demand like that you be competing for a championship. Now, maybe that's because I'm so far, couldn't be much further removed from the city of Portland, Oregon, you know, being in Philadelphia. But, like, it doesn't seem to me like the type of fan base, like, you get in the Northeast where, like, they demand changes. They might just be happy to say, we love watching Damian Lillard. We love watching C.J. McCollum. Like, we have an identity with those two guys. Like, this is the type of team we're going to be. But there is a chance that they could say, you know what, we've taken this as far as we can. We got to do something different. Uh, they haven't gotten Yusuf Nurkic back. I don't know if he's going to come back this season, and if he does, like how effective he's going to be. Like he had a pretty gruesome leg injury last year, and it's tough for a guy of that size to bounce back from a leg injury. Uh, they're a team that I always believed in uh, because of of Dame Lillard, and he has played just, I mean, unbelievable this season uh and you know what they're four games behind memphis which as i just said like the four games to make up on the lakers is a lot i think the sixers making up four games on boston to reach the three seed is a lot but i feel like portland making up four games on memphis who's a really young team who has no experience i think portland or i think memphis has played four more home games than road games which means they have four more road games than home games the rest of the season I do think there's like a chance Portland can overtake them for a playoff spot and if they do like I really think making the playoffs in the west is still an accomplishment Uh, especially Mm -hmm. from where Portland came from like you know a month ago or six weeks ago the fact that they're still hanging around I think is, is good 
and I think they have a chance to get in there. But yeah, they they have not lived up to what a lot of people thought. But yeah, I guess my disappointing teams. Atlanta definitely a disappointing team because I think I I think we both touted them as a possible surprise playoff team, and clearly they're nowhere near that. So they've been unbelievably disappointing. Uh, and as far as the West, if I had a disappointing team. I don't know if there's anyone that has specifically been disappointing in the West because I feel like the teams that are good, we expected them to be good, and the teams that are bad, we expected them to be bad. Maybe the only disappointment I'd see in the West is maybe Sacramento because they showed signs of improvement last year and have not built on it this year. Uh, But, yeah, both of these conferences are going to be really interesting, especially in the East because we definitely build the East as it's a two-team race. Like, it's going to be the Sixers and the Bucks. There's really no other options, and it definitely has not turned out that way. Like, there are teams that are good in the East that are better than we thought they'd be. Like I said, Toronto is scary as a playoff matchup. Boston is scary as a playoff matchup, as much as I hate to admit it. Indiana, I think, once Victor Oladipo kind of settles in, I think that's a scary matchup in the East. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think these playoffs are going to be – we're going to see playoff basketball in the second round this year that are at a level we have not seen before. Like, Great. I, I really yeah, think okay. these playoffs are going to be unreal. I mean, even some first-round series are going to be amazing in, in ways that we didn't didn't expect or haven't seen in a long time. Um. Let's see. Ayla, what else do you have in your notes before we get into, like, our thoughts on the, the individual awards? That's all I had. Cause I, we hit on everything because I had a lot of Sixer stuff, and by God, we handled all that clearly. We definitely did. I mean, we, we went for almost a half hour on the Sixers, which I didn't, yes. I didn't expect. That was very self-indulgent on my yeah. part. Yeah, you went 25 minutes. Yeah, probably, but. yeah. Um, so I guess the, the way I had my East playoffs – pegged last year i'm just gonna run through this real quick just to to show how how different some of this stuff is from what we expected i had uh bucks sixers pacers celtics raptors magic heat nets as my playoff teams at the start of the of the before the regular season started and as it sits right now we have bucks which is what we all expected raptors two uh celtics three heat four sixers five pacers six Net 7, Magic 8. So it's the same teams, but in very different order than I would have predicted. Uh, And in the West, I had Nuggets, Jazz, Clippers, Rockets, Lakers, Blazers, Warriors, OKC. And it ended up now, Lakers, Nuggets, Clippers, Jazz, Rockets, OKC, Mavs, and Grizzlies. I did have the Mavs as like the team that I thought could jump into the playoffs uh, that didn't make it last year, and they're going going to make the playoffs but some of that is the warriors you know complete just collapse with losing basically everybody they had that was good that was the best thing for them yeah probably um and the jazz who i had at number two i feel like it's interesting because i feel like they're not looked at as on that level but if you look at it you have the lakers four games ahead of the number two seed but then i think two three four are all within like a half game of each other or a game and a half of each other so there's still like a race for the number two seed in the west and it's going to be really interesting to see how this shakes like how this the seeding could be 
so different in three weeks from what it is right now. That's how close all these teams are. It's going to be super interesting to close the regular season. Are you guys ready to get into some thoughts on individual awards? Yep. Sure. Yep. All right, so the MVP conversation, I feel like, should start any uh, individual award conversation. And I don't know if there's much of a conversation. <laughs> we can try to have one, I guess. Nope. <laughs> I have something that I find very impressive about this, though. Mm-hmm. He, so he, his numbers are thir- Giannis's numbers are 30 points per game, 13 and a half rebounds. And this, this just, like, was mind-blowing. He's doing this in 32 minutes a game. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I'm just looking at that now myself too. That's that's crazy. Yeah, he's not playing a ton of minutes, a ton of production and not a ton of minutes. Uh yeah, and obviously the best record in the league, so can't be much of a case for anyone else but him to win the MVP. I guess the only real conversation to have is bless you. What is the rest of the top 3? Like who else are the top three vote? Do you think we should even be discussing this as far as what do we think it's going to be or what do we think like, in our mind, who are these most valuable guys? Because I had Harden as number two before the season, and I had Lillard as number three. I really think, like, if if he can drag that team into the playoffs, I like, I think there's a case for Dame Lillard to be, like, the number two guy in the MVP conversation. Like, I think he's that good. I think he's been that great this season. And, like, I could see him, in my eyes, he'd, he'd be my number two vote-getter for MVP with Harden also in there. I think unfortunately a lot of these guys just it's kind of like the Warriors like you kind of fall off because you have another guy in the MVP conversation on your team. Like LeBron and AD, they're they kind of are in that mix together. Uh so who do you think like to you guys, maybe we won't talk about what we think the final voting is going to be. Who do you think are like two more guys that belong at least in that conversation of most valuable players? Uh, I think LeBron James is number two because there's one thing he's doing quietly, and believe me, you're not LeBron James doing something quiet. Leading the league in assists? <laughs> yes, quietly leading the league in assists. Yeah. And number three, I don't know because, like you said, LeBron and AD are kind of bunching there together because they have the same record. They're on the same team, and they have the same in the, that 41-12 and 12 record. And nobody else, I don't think, has really put their team in a position that really stands out even more because you have Giannis – right now the leading vote getter and after that it's just lebron and ad because they're on the same team james harden he's always gonna be there but the the record isn't there and after that i think that's about it yeah i've got lebron definitely uh at number two um for what he's doing especially you know leading the league and assists right now and after that i mean to me it's a huge drop off i mean i guess you can put james harden in there for what he does but uh, to me it's clear it's not even a conversation it's going to be giannis at this point but i will put uh, LeBron at number two, and, and I guess James Harden number three. Yeah, I, I think it'll be. Well, it won't be interesting. We already know who the MVP. We've known who the MVP <laughs> would be for weeks already, months probably. Um, so yeah, we will not have quite the MVP race that we've had in in previous years. I think it's already wrapped up. Uh, Coach of the year. Uh, you guys, well, Alo, I know alluded to it earlier. Like to me, Nick Nurse is the coach of the year. Uh, for getting what he's gotten out of that Toronto team, losing a guy who you could make the case was the most dominant NBA player last season for what he did in the playoffs in Kawhi, to lose that and still be basically playing at the same level. And it's not even like you said, he's had like the healthy team. 
like a lot of his best players still have missed time and they haven't really missed a beat. So for me, it's Nick Nurse and then the other guys I have in the conversation. Obviously, Coach Bud. This team could be threatening to win 70 games. He's got to at least have his name in the ring for that. And then I think Eric Spolstra, like. He's known as a great coach. He has been for a long time. And he's definitely getting like an overachieving performance out of this Miami Heat team. So I think he at least deserves to be mentioned in the class of Coach of the Year candidates. So I'm curious if you guys agree with Nick Nurse and who else you'd throw in there for Coach of the Year possibilities. Um, I certainly see the argument for Nick Nurse. That was someone that I did consider. But if at least for me, naturally, I went to um, you know Coach Bud in Milwaukee. Um, they've got the best record in the league they're going to probably get 70 wins they've got the mvp of the league on the team and they're doing all this with less pieces than they had last year again um they're kind of surprising me with how well they're doing i knew they're gonna be good but not quite this good so um that's where i'm thinking he'll he'll probably get the coach of the year yeah i made my case for nick nurse at the top of the show but since you was with nick nurse and you went with bud i'll go with scotty brooks because to I think this might be his best coaching job he's ever done in OKC because you think about it, you tr- you lose Russell Westbrook and both Paul George, and you're only a game and a half behind Houston, the team you traded Russell Westbrook to, with less talent on pa- with less name name brand talent on paper, and the the uh, the production getting out of Shea Gilders Alexander, Stephen Adams, and I talked about with the the, the reincarnation of Chris Paul, you got you got to give up to his this coaching job because we didn't know what to think about this team at all. And Scotty Brooks has his team in position to make the playoffs and possibly be high as a fourth seed. Uh you mean do you mean Billy Donovan? Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here scratching my head like, huh? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I think Scotty Brooks is at the cop. God, Billy Donovan's the guy. Yeah, well, Scotty Brooks, I think, I think is, in, is he in Washington? Is, is he in, yeah, in Washington. It is Billy Donovan. I'm sorry. But if maybe if if uh, if he could get Washington into the playoffs, <laughs> maybe he's in the conversation. But but no, I definitely agree with your point. Like that's a guy who's getting more out of a team than I think a lot of people gave it credit for before the season. And you know what? He'd get my vote if he gets them to the twenty first draft pick this year. Into <laughs> uh, into uh, admit my mistake. I gotta do, I gotta do this. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're talking <laughs> Kevin Durant. You're talking Russell Westbrook. I'm looking That's at I'm looking at guys. I'm trying to even <laughs> think of who else has has been like an old because they're not an old enough friend. I'm looking at guys like Serge Ibaka. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at at a guy like Scott Pollard. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> the type of season it. Scott Pollard is having. Uh, was Rafael French there at some point? In OKC? Yeah, I can't remember. I don't know. Nick, Nick Collison. Yeah, Nick, I remember Nick Collison. He looks like a the former type of uh, season supersonic. Nick yeah. Collison is putting together down in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I love that you did that. I actually had forgotten about that. One of my favorite Stephen A clips of all time. Uh, moving on to Rookie of the Year. Uh, I, re- I think this is another one man race, really. Oh, yeah. Like. Job. Zion might be yeah. like making a huge impact right now and getting a lot of headlines and highlights, but like John Morant has, as a rookie, has this 
afterthought team in the playoff race. He's putting up unbelievable numbers. Uh, I think it's got to be John Morant. And like I said on our original podcast, you will never hear the end of it for me if Zion Williamson wins Rookie of the Year this year when Joel Embiid didn't win it in his rookie year, when they're going to play roughly the same amount of games. I will absolutely lose my mind if Zion Williamson is Rookie of the Year. Um. Yeah, is there anybody else you'd even like to mention in the rookie conversation, or is it pretty much it? Uh, Kendrick Nunn at the top of the season for the first month, I would say, because the the surprise in Miami, he he was averaging around 20 points the first few weeks of the season, and that team got off to a hot start. But he's faded out because the Jimmy Butler and Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero have all come on strong. But John Moran, he has that team overachieving. They're probably a year early in their growth. And like I said, John Moran with Brandon Clark and Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson, they've all played extremely well. And Taylor Jenkins also Mm -hmm. has to be a candidate for coach of the year, depending if they get into playoffs or not. Yeah. Ronald, any any other rookies you'd like to, to mention? Yeah, to me, it's just, you know, a clear front runner, you know, job, you know, taking that underachieving team and, you know, getting them to where they're at right now and to be able to, you know, battle for that A spot and, uh, you know, see if they can hold on to it, but with his play, certainly elevating that that team and putting them in a, a good position to get some playoff experience for as young as they are will be good for them. Yeah, so there's three guys. Now, you just mentioned Brandon Clark. He was on my list as like an impactful rookie. Matisse Thibel, who has had some injury issues and some issues with like maybe not getting the most playing time, but the fact that he's already like immediately one of the 10 to 12 most disruptive defensive players in the league as a rookie, I think is impressive. And I think is like for all of the mistakes that they've made over the last three and a half years as a front office, even the fact that I think they, they played their hand, making sure the entire league knew they wanted Matisse Thibel before the draft to the point where they had to trade up to get him. Like, even with all of that, I think the fact that he is as good as advertised, maybe even better, like, I feel like I need to mention Matisse. And then Eric Paschal, Villanova guy, he's had, granted, it's a lot of it is just playing time out of necessity on that horrible Golden State team, but he's been a really good rookie. He's made an impact on his team, and I felt like I should at least mention him. Uh, Most improved. I think I think this is another like clear cut category where it's a guy we did not see before the start of the season, but I think Brandon Ingram is the most improved player in the NBA this year. Yeah, I was a year early on that, but I remember last season before he went out with the blood injury, he w- he had a stretch before he went out where he finally started to figure it out. He was averaging twenty four points a game. For for a nice stretch before he ended up getting hurt, so I was a year early on that. But my pick earlier this season was Shea Gilders Alexander. I think it is still going to be a two a two man race between those two. Uh, Ronald, any uh, thoughts from you? It's going to sound kind of crazy, but uh, is it possible to guy that won it last year could win it again this year? <laughs> that was a thought got, too. That was a thought too. I mean, he's playing out of his mind. I mean, Grant, they they lost Kawhi Leonard, but you know Pascal Siakam. He's you know scoring nearly ten points a game more than he did last year. His rebounds are up, you know his assists are slightly up. I mean he is really putting that team on his back. So I mean I've been really impressed with him. I know he won it last year, but the way he's playing, at the rate he's going, he could win it again this year too. I would absolutely love that a back to back most improved player <laughs> winner. That would be amazing. And honestly, I, I would if I had a vote, I might even switch my vote just based on that because I can't imagine that's ever happened before. 
Yeah, I don't think it has, but it, he has a case for it. He does. Uh, I had uh, Jonathan Isaac originally as my pick, but he ended up getting injured. Um, and I had Lonzo on there with the idea that him being paired with Zion would get him like a lot of headlines and help boost his numbers a little bit. And obviously Zion just kind of started. But you're starting to see a little bit of that, like the two of them as a pairing, what that could be in the future. Uh, and I do think Lonzo is a much better player than a lot of people give him credit for. Uh, sixth man of the year. I could not have been more wrong with my original prediction of Joe Ingles. He was a terrible sixth man. <laughs> well, I can't. Well, my sixth man of the year is a starter and in the All Star game, yeah. Demontis Sabonis. <laughs> so, so since Louis Williams is always the popular pick, I'll just go with his teammate Montrez Harrell, who who is easy to forget about because he's on the same team with Louis Williams and comes off the bench as well. So I'll go with Montrez Harrell. Ronald, any sixth man of the year ideas from you? Uh, I'll go chalk on this one as, as far as, uh, you know, the usual suspect being Lou Williams. Um, he's a guy as he gets older, um, you know, plays consistent, um, you know, instant scoring off the bench. And I think he's uh, playing a very pivotal role for that, that Clipper team and, and will continue to do so as the you know, season goes on. Uh, yeah. I mean, those are both, uh, obviously all choices that you kind of can't go wrong with. The other guy that I had in the mix as a possible sixth man of the year was Spencer Dinwiddie, and again, he's probably going to end up starting too many games because mm-hmm. he's had an awesome yeah. season, but he's probably started too many games for him to really be in the conversation. So I'd probably go with Lou Williams at this point just because I feel like it, you kind of get that with this award where it's just like the guy that writers have in mind that they're just going to vote for. Like It's, it's yeah, usually the same-, the same couple guys. Yeah, but the thing is, Montrez Errol is averaging 21 points a game too. And doing the same team, it's just to give Louis, Louis Will a break. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if you've heard. Uh, you listen to um, you listen to all the smoke Mm-mm. with Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson. There are yeah. it's actually a show on Showtime, but they converted to a podcast form. So uh, Louis Williams was on there. He's like, yeah, well, I get it all the time, but they wouldn't give the Trez. Then I'll take that as a win because he's my teammate. That's my right. bro. So. I, I do think Montrez Harrell will end up being the six-man year just because of Louis Will fatigue. And I wouldn't mind that because I was like a big fan of Montrez Harrell in college when he played at Louisville. He was a guy that I had my eye on as like a possible Sixers draft pick at one time, and I'm happy that he's panned out to be a good player. I always like to end up being right in my evaluation, so he's proved me right to be a good NBA player like I expected. Uh, defensive player of the year. Uh, where, which way are you guys going with this? I would say at the rate that Ben Simmons is going right now, I mean, he's playing out of his mind. He's, he's certainly taking his defensive game to another level. So um, right now I will go with Ben Simmons. Yeah, I agree. Wow. I, I thought I'd be like the only one thinking that. So I actually just have Anthony Davis as who I think is going to win it because I do think that uh, I, I just think being in L.A. in that spotlight, putting up the defensive numbers that he always does, I think it's a good bet that he's going to have a chance to get it. I hope Ben is at least, like, when the voting comes out, is at least in the conversation when the time comes. But he, I have him as number two and Rudy Gobert as number three. And Joel Embiid, who I, I think definitely always has a case, again, probably has not played enough games. And I think, unfortunately, like, the way the media views him now, like, I think he's going to have a hard time for a while winning any type of awards because I think he's just viewed negatively too much by too many guys in the media. Um, 
So now I guess we're down to like predicting our conference champions. Now we're to that point in this podcast. So, Alo, since I already know what your original uh, champions were, Ron, I'm going to start with you. Who do you think is going to win the Eastern Conference? Wow. Um, for as wide open as it is, hmm, this is going to sound crazy. I'm not trying to be a homer, but I do think the Sixers find a way to win the East. Um, although Milwaukee is having a great regular season, it, it, they'll probably win that first round, might even win the second round, depending on who they play. Um, I do think the Sixers match up very well with them and can beat them in a series. Um, Toronto is a, you know, another tough team as well, but um, with the Sixers and you know how, how they're playing and you know kind of projecting forward, um, I do see them figuring this all out and um, playing up to their potential and getting out of the East. Well, I like it. Halo, <laughs> <laughs> how about you? You originally picked the Sixers in the preseason. Where do you sit now uh, in mid-February? I'm off that bandwagon. I'm going <laughs> with the Bucks. I, I talked about the last time we talked about this, I talked about Ben Simmons in the playoffs when he gets deeper into the playoffs. And I talked about the series against Toronto. He averaged only 11 points a game and took more than 10 shots in two out of in two out of seven games. And in the Boston series, he only averaged 14 a game the year the year prior. And the the difference between him and Giannis, Giannis actually attempts the three point shot, and he's done it. He's made more in attempted more than he has last season. And he, so you have to respect it. Ben's not taking that shot. I said, I gave the prediction with the Sixers with the with the thought process of Ben actually attempting more shots three-point shots, but he's not. And he can't sit off and be and hide in the corner anymore because if you want to win the championship, especially you might have to face the Bucks in the second round potential, possibly. So you got to be, be on attack mode, and when the game slows down in, those, in the lanes get clogged up, can Ben be aggressive enough in attack, but he's going to have to learn to take that jump shot. And Jimmy Butler is not there to take them home anymore. It's got to be Ben or Embiid because remember that Boston series – when it was when it was just him and JoJo as the star guys, and they have on the court Marco Bellinelli, Ben's off in the corner, and Marco Bellinelli and JJ Reddick are the ones taking the shots, and not Ben Simmons, and that can't happen. So, with potentially facing Milwaukee in the second round, I'm gonna go with the Bucks. So, I did not pick the Sixers on our preseason podcast because I just thought the fit wasn't going to work, or I had concerns about whether the fit was going to work or not, and I felt like Milwaukee for the most part, had all of their key guys in place. They lost Brogdon, but they still had, for the most part, all these guys have played together. All these guys know each other and know what their roles are. The Sixers, I mean, it's concerning that the Sixers are at the All-Star break and most of the team doesn't really know like what their role is because almost nobody, the way this team has been constructed, almost nobody gets to really play the game in the way that suits them best. Like they're usually to win a championship, you have one or two guys that have to sacrifice some of their own individual game for the betterment of the team. Like you look at the Heat with the big three. Dwayne Wade had to sacrifice being the man to let LeBron do it. And then Chris Bosch had to sacrifice a little bit of his offensive game because he had LeBron and Dwayne Wade ahead of him. The Sixers' entire team is sacrificing some of what makes them good because none of them really fit together. Uh, like 
Joel Embiid has to sacrifice some of his ability to dominate in the post because he's on the floor with Ben Simmons who can't shoot. Ben has to sacrifice some of his ability to kind of run an open, fast-paced game because he's sharing the floor with Joel and Horford, who are not guys who are going to be like running the floor. Uh, you have Tobias, who sacrifices some of his ability to run a pick-and-roll, some of his ability uh, to to get a good offensive matchup because he's playing out of position. Like Josh Richardson, I think, is being miscast with too much like point guard responsibility when I don't think that's really his strong suit. It's like nobody's really getting to play the role they should be because none of these guys should be on the same five-man roster together. So I have a lot of concerns about the Sixers for that. But there's also something to be said for the level of overall talent they have compared to all these other teams. Like, And I think they have a unique ability to be able to defend Giannis in a way that other teams can't. Like, Joel Embiid is a guy who makes it very tough on Giannis. Al Horford has traditionally been a guy who makes it tough on Giannis. Then if your third line of defense against Giannis is like sometimes he's going up against Ben Simmons, yeah, Ben Simmons isn't as tough of a matchup for Giannis as the other two guys, but if your third line of defense is Ben Simmons, like that's pretty tough to go up against if that's your third option. And I'm really torn because... There is part of me that I I love the idea of me seeing this team win a championship and never being happy the whole time. Like I almost want to pick it just because of of that whole, that whole storyline for me personally. But you know what? I am going to pick the Sixers because personally I have too much invested in Brett in Joel and in Ben and the process as a whole than for me to give up on it. Like, I still have to think that they can find a way to pay that whole thing off. And to me, the process does not pay off if one of even one of those three guys isn't there. I feel like we need all three of them for me to feel like as much as Adam Silver, as much as Josh Harris, as much as the Colangelos and their whole front office tried to torpedo this whole thing, what Sam Hinkie built was too strong for them to take it down all the way. <laughs> So I'm going to say the Sixers win the East. Uh, and Alo, I can't imagine that your Lakers prediction has changed after the way the regular season has played out. Well, I, I am terrified. <laughs> I am terrified because of the acquisition of Marcus Morris and the Lakers were so strapped on what they can get at the trade deadline. Like the Knicks were reportedly warning Kyle Kuzma and Dan Green from Marcus Morris, which would have been completely ridiculous if the Lakers did it. And I'd have been damned if they traded Alex Caruso. I love him. I'd have been, <laughs> I'd have been damned if they traded him. That's like, that's like trading Kobe to me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I love that guy. The legend of Alex Caruso has grown yeah. very quickly. Yes. C- the Caruso. Yes, that's what it's <laughs> But the acquisition of Marcus Morris, of course, it, it terrifies me. And the Lakers, I'm not sure if they're going to be players on the buyout market. People, there have been rumors swirling around, but possibly looking at Deion Waiters. But that doesn't really move anything for me. Uh, if you want to sign Deion Waiters, I'd rather you sign Jamal Crawford. You know, he's out there. <laughs> he hasn't played a game all season. But the fact that they, the, the, the Clippers, they have to get to the Lakers first because 
they play down to their competition because you look at some of these teams they play, you like they lost to them, really, but they but they play up for the Lakers, and I think that's what they're looking forward to the most is playing the Lakers, and they always bring their A game. LeBron the last two, the first game, two games against the Clippers, he hasn't been himself. The first game I'll give him a pass because it was the first game of the season, and he was trying to get a feel for things for the Christmas Day game when the Clippers came back on the Lakers and beat them on Christmas. That was that was like a little that, that kind of killed my like confidence with the Lakers handling the Clippers. So I'm still going with the Lakers, but due to the acquisition of Marcus Morris, I'm a little bit trepidatious to to steal a word from Stephen A. Smith. (laughs) (laughs) You have a little trepidation. Yes. (laughs) Ronald, what about you? Who comes out of the West? I think the Clippers do come out. Um, If healthy, um, it's kind of hard to go against Kawhi and you know, Paul George, and then the acquisition of um, one of the Morris brothers. Uh, that's a really tough, scrappy team that they got there. And then they got a you know pretty good bench as well. So um, it's kind of hard to go against them. Yeah, and also that Paul George hamstring injury that is key too, because if he's not if he's not a hundred percent healthy, that's going to mess with their playoff chances. And like I said, remember they have to get to the Lakers first because they played down in their competition. And what are they in the third seed right now? Yeah, they're sitting at three. Yeah, they will have to play OKC. So Houston's is floating between five and six. So potentially they'll play Houston or OKC. Yeah. So I said at the beginning of the the beginning of the season, like so many of these teams, like on the high end of what you could expect from them, could win a championship. But also they may be like one injury away from like collapse. And I do think that like all these teams, like if you look at the Bucks. The Sixers, if you look at the Lakers, Clippers, they probably are at least, like I said, the, the 538 model that makes all of these projections. They have them as the top four teams in basketball, like most likely to win a championship. Lakers, Clippers, Sixers, Bucks. All four of those teams, like one injury ends the whole thing. You know, if Anthony Davis gets hurt, the Lakers are not winning a championship. If... Paul George or Kawhi aren't healthy, they're not winning a championship. If Embiid or Ben are not healthy, Sixers aren't winning a championship. And with Milwaukee, I mean, it ultimately comes down to to Giannis. If Giannis, or even Chris Middleton, if one of those guys gets an injury, like it's over for them. So it's like a a real tightrope you're walking with injuries. And the Clippers, I think, two guys, maybe are the guys I feel like, most likely to be banged up at that point of the season, you know? So, but what I will say, I think I picked the Clippers to start the, in in the preseason, I picked the Clippers to, to win the West. I think I'm still going to go with the Clippers just because I think they have so much depth and I think that they are smart about preserving their two top guys. And I just think Kawhi and Paul George are so good on both ends of the floor and so versatile on both ends of the floor that they make everyone else around them better when they're both on the floor together. Uh, So I think I'm still going to stick with the Clippers to win the West, although I feel definitely better about the Lakers' chances now than I did in October. Uh, But I'm still going to go with the Clippers. And I guess now we get to who is going to win the whole thing. I don't know who wants to go first. I'll go first. Um, if we have a Sixers Clippers matchup, again, the caveat is for the Clippers. If they're all healthy, 
Um, I do think the Clippers will will win again. It's kind of hard to bet against Kawhi Leonard and you know what they got going on out there out west. So um, although uh, the Sixers, I think again do match up with them very well, I do think the Clippers will eventually pull it out. This is my heart talking about the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> I like that it's not even analysis. Just I want them to win, so I'm going to say that. yes. <laughs> so. If 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 we're talking about the way the way that I have predicted it is Sixers Clippers in the finals, I said this on our preseason podcast that I borderline have PTSD from watching Kawhi against the Sixers in the playoffs last year, and I still don't know if I've recovered from it. Uh, but what I do have to say, so on one hand. Uh, Marcus Morris seems like he never misses a shot against the Sixers. I don't know if he's ever missed a shot against the Sixers. <laughs> Kawhi, we obviously saw what he did to the Sixers last year in the playoffs. But if I really take a step back and look at that matchup in the finals, they do not have any answer for Joel Embiid. Like, they really don't. The Clippers do not have any way to slow down Joel Embiid. And I remember... Uh, and Aloy, I know I've talked to you a lot about taking that scouting class with Alan Vinokurov a couple years ago. And one of the things he talked about, and hopefully I'm not saying anything that he wouldn't want to be out publicly, but I mentioned to him he's been scouting for like 14 or 15 years. Actually, he, he got hired before this season to be a scout for the Lakers. He's in their really? scouting department now, yeah. Um, but what he said when I asked him, like, who is the best player you've scouted? He said, or I asked him about his specifically his evaluation of Joel Embiid. He said, at the time when I evaluated Embiid, I had him ranked as like the best college player I've scouted. Like the, the possibility of like the highest potential of any college player I've scouted. And he's of a big believer that Shaq is very underrated in NBA history. Where like when Shaq was healthy and in shape, there was no answer that any team had for Shaq. Like, you could not do anything about what he did. Um, He said, basically, and this was when we had this conversation, this was still during the Big Four Warriors era, he was like, I really believe if the Sixers made it to the finals against Golden State, they have a better chance of beating them than anyone else because of Embiid. Because who the hell do they have to match up with him? And he said that that alone could, like, change the way – NBA teams build like now the league all becomes about how do we build our team to stop Joel Embiid now obviously that hasn't happened yet but I look at that as like if they make it to the finals they play against the Clippers that could be a series where he is the unstoppable force that a lot of people hope he can be because they don't have anyone really to defend him uh Obviously, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are a lot to deal with. Obviously, Lou Williams is hard to stop. Obviously, they have a lot of depth. But I think if we get a Clippers-Lakers, or I'm sorry, a Clippers-Sixers finals, as miserable as I'll be for the entire months of April, May, and June, we would get a Sixers NBA championship, and Sam Hinkie should be on the first float in that parade in Philadelphia. (laughs) And Sam Hinkie should be ringing the bell at the home opener next season. (laughs) <laughs> I think so. I would go with the Sixers. Oh, and I, I will preface, not preface, but I will like uh, 
close this by saying I in my heart I don't actually think the Sixers are winning an NBA championship this year but for entertainment purposes only in this podcast I am picking the Sixers to win an NBA championship and for me to be unhappy and miserable and annoyed the entire time um which I think is very on brand for me as I seem to be annoyed all the time anyway uh any final thoughts from either of you uh whether it has to do with the all-star game or the rest of the season or anything like that I am looking forward to tonight's All-Star game with the new format. Um, they're certainly trying to do some things to you know, jazz up, make it more competitive. So I am interested in seeing how that all works out with teams having to win each quarter and then the mad dash to the end. I think they play basically like to, I think, like 21 or something mm-hmm. like that. Like whoever can get to like a certain point total wins. I do like that. So see how that goes tonight. I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to the game too, but I, do, I did poise questions. Post some questions on mm-hmm. Instagram. And we got one from Bees. He asks, who influenced you the most from the sport and why? Hmm. Like, as I'm assuming this means, like, like who made us as big of a fan of the NBA as we are? Like, do you think that's? Uh, I interpret it as, like, who, inf- like, maybe if you played, who'd you like to play after? Or, like, who you took to the most, maybe? That's how I kind of interpreted it. So, okay, if I was going to be an NBA player and if I was going to wish I could be just like anyone else, I mean, I I hate to say this because I think it's, like, very cliche, but, like, Michael Jordan is the the standard. Like, especially a kid growing up, starting watching basketball in, like, the mid-'80s, like you like Michael Jordan changed the league to where it became about like the individual guy. Like if you look at the like the seventies and eighties, like the Lakers weren't great just because Magic Johnson was a superstar. They were great because they had a great team, like of Hall of Famers, like those Celtics teams, a team worth of Hall of Famers. And then Michael Jordan was just this like singular talent that you felt like would carry your team to a win every night. And then the league became all about who is that next guy. Like it became all about who is the face of this franchise. So I probably would say Michael Jordan, because he definitely influenced the way I see the game, like through that lens of this is the guy who can make this happen. So I would probably say Michael Jordan, Ronald, how about you? I hate to echo the same thing, but you know, for me, it's, it's got to be Michael Jordan. I mean, he's, he's certainly, you know, changed the game to the point where, like you just said, we're always looking for the next Michael Jordan, whether it was Kobe or LeBron. And, you know, the arguments go back and forth on who's better. You always are comparing that person to Jordan. So um, I wish I could pick someone different, but, you know, considering how I grew up and where I grew up in that, that time, you know, in the early 90s, um, it was it was Jordan Air, so that's who I would go with. Yeah, Halo. What about you? Oh, I mean, no, I know Shaq. your answer, but <laughs> no, no, it's not Kobe. I thought I don't think it's going to be Kobe. Oh no, I say Shaq because I started getting to basketball in Jordan's second run. So like, even if even we talk about my basketball Rushmore, Jordan will be on there, but he'll be fourth on my list because of that. But I'll say Shaq because of the fun loving guy he was, you know, and the way I watched and I was out growing up, like I patterned the way I played after Tim Duncan, 
because he was the big fundamental mm-hmm. and and so him and Shaq, they were kind of they 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 both they were both post players and stuff like that. But Duncan, he had more of a fundamentally sound game than Shaq. So I'll say Shaq because of his personality and the way the life he brought to the game. But if you're talking about like the way I like to play, it was definitely Tim Duncan because I just like to you know do the basics and, <laughs> and keep it moving. I'm not going to be doing anything fancy. I just want to score and just go go on defense. And I think maybe I'll, I'll add one more to it. So one, like, I do think maybe if we're talking about influenced me, it would probably be Allen Iverson because of the type of human being he was and the way he kind of pushed the boundaries at a time in my life when I felt very, like, I was a very angsty young adult. And I think that fit me in that time period, like perfectly. He had that kind of like renegade mentality, that whole like only God can judge me, only the strong survive. Like no matter how many times you knock me down, I'm going to get back up. And I don't care how much bigger you are than me, how much stronger you are than me, how much more work you put in in the off season. You know, you might have gone to bed at nine o'clock last night to play, to prepare for this game and I was out at TGI Fridays till 3 a.m. I'm still going <laughs> to kick your ass like that was influential to me but if I look at someone as like a model of who I maybe would have wanted to be I might pick LeBron because if you look at it this guy has been in the public eye since he was like a sophomore in high school he was the guy who was billed as like this is the next like true superstar like face of the league the fact that he one actually became that like has superseded the league as a whole the way he has lived up to like maybe the most wild expectations ever placed on a 16 year old kid uh, I think is something to be very impressed with and I think the fact that he's been in the public eye for what 20 years now and the only thing he's ever really done that made people view him negatively was the decision which he was pretty young still at the time, and even that raised, like, whatever it was, $3 million for, like, the Boys and Girls Club in his hometown. So, like, to be in the public eye in this era of, like, social media and, like, cameras everywhere and, like, public scrutiny and where what you do in your personal life is almost more important than what you do in your field, the fact that he has never really done anything to, like, embarrass himself, like, he's never been caught cheating on his wife, he's never been caught beating a woman or, like... Not, like, caught with, like, guns or speeding tickets or drugs or anything like that. The fact that he has been, like, he's still probably viewed as much of a, like, a nice guy now as he was 20 years ago as a kid. I think is, like, to me, that's maybe more impressive than any NBA player has ever done on the court. That his public image has been as intact as it has been being in the public eye for this long with as much scrutiny as these guys get now. Like, I can't imagine being under that type of microscope for that long and never really doing anything that make people look at you like, eh, maybe you are a bad guy. So I think his on-court accomplishment along with, like, his off-court reputation, I think, maybe that's a guy we all could aspire to a little more. (laughs) You know, that's that's probably what I'd say. I'll add one more on to that now. I'm I'm thinking about it. Uh, On the low, I was a... A sneaky Ray Allen fan. Um, I believe he was drafted the same year as Allen Iverson. Um, came out of uh, UConn, and uh, I just loved his game. And uh, when I would play, I would pattern my game after him. So um, he's a guy you know had you know a long career, 
Um, you know, finally won a championship with Boston, which I was happy to see, you know, guy that win. Starting um, a Spike Lee I, movie. <laughs> I was, what I was going to say, very, very influential to me. I love, I love Spike Lee. Um, I love he got game. Love Denzel Washington played a, a very, you know, great role um, in that movie. So uh, I gotta say, yeah, definitely um, as a sleeper for me, Ray Allen was very influential. And I think the NBA is maybe a unique league where we could probably all find so many guys that were influential to us because. Different from other sports, it is so much about the individual guys. And, like, maybe it's because in football you're wearing a mask and we can't really see your face. And in hockey, you know, even the best players are maybe only playing, like, 18 minutes out of a 60-minute game. Like, you're seeing these guys' faces, their reactions. Like, it becomes very much about these guys and you feel like you get to know them. So I think that basketball lends itself to... To very much like the individual guys more than any other sport. Uh, so very interesting question. Were there any other ones or was that it, Alo? That's it. Okay. So any final thoughts before we close it out? I'm good. I'm good here. All right. Well, Ronald, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. Um, hopefully we get to do this again soon. Uh, Alo, as always, excellent work. Uh, I look very much forward to seeing how the rest of the 2019-2020 season plays out. I feel like the, the league could look very, very different uh, in a month and a half than it does right now. I'm anxious to see how we get there. I'm ready for the playoffs, even though we still have, you know, 25 to 30 games left before we get there. Uh, enjoy the All-Star game tonight. Um, for Stephen Alo, for Ronald Rose, I am Pash Kellerman, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks.